We have been set free this morning. Amen, church? It is good to be free of our sins. You can go ahead and flip in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. You know, it's good to be with you guys again this weekend. Last week, we were at our campus retreat up in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. There's about 260 campus students up there. And I just want to tell you that God is moving in the next generation. Amen, church? Amen. So we're continuing in our series through the Sermon on the Mount. Just a reminder that each... Uh, week, there's a family group discussion that's online on our website about each, about each lesson. So you can go back and go deeper in your family group to talk about it again. That's made available online each and every week. And it's also in the weekly newsletter. So as I've been talking, a lot of you guys have been distracted by behind me about the title. So today we're talking about Jesus and sexual desire. All right. And uh, we're going to be right here in Matthew chapter five in verse 27. And, um, you know, Jesus, through the, through the kingdom, uh, you know, through the Sermon on the Mount, he's bringing in what it really means to be human in the kingdom of God. And he's setting up this new way to be human, or maybe more specifically, he's reestablishing the way he designed for humans to live in his kingdom. In chapter 5, verse 20, a couple weeks ago, we hit that where he says, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. And what he's, what he's trying to say is like, look, I'm going to show you in my new society what right relationship between man, and, between man and other man or what right relationship between man and God actually looks like in my new humanity. And then he's going to go through case studies for the next several sections, going through what does life in this new kingdom and this new society look like. Last week we started with anger, and this week we're diving into Jesus and sexual desire. So we're going to pick up right here in verse 27. In verse 27 it reads, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So this morning we have a really easy topic. We got a topic that's not, that doesn't cause any triggers, no shame ever comes from this topic. It's very simple. It's going to be a great easy talk, don't you think? No, if I'm honest, guys, we have a, a serious family talk to talk about this morning. And, and I do want to say that, you know, Jesus kind of goes into adult language here to talk about adult things. We're going to have an adult talk. I trust any parents in the room that you will have the right judgment for your child about this conversation. You know, if you're visiting your first time at North River this week, you know, welcome to church, all right? <laughs> welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. If, if you find that this is like a very hard scripture to follow, honestly, for most of my life, I was right there with you. I actually was excited to talk about this topic because this topic defined a lot of my time away from God and defined a lot of my time with God. And, I, and so a lot of today, I'm going to walk you through my own story. So in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, Paul says that he was the worst of sinners. I connect with that statement. You know, in my flesh, I'm a deeply arrogant and selfish man. 
Before following Jesus, I was a liar. I was addicted to drugs. I was, my life was filled with parties. And with this topic, I was an extremely immoral man. And I was addicted to pornography. And I didn't care about the scriptures. I didn't care about God. I didn't think it was ever possible to be pure, much less why would anyone ever want to be pure? Was my mindset in the world? But once I started following Jesus, these very scriptures that I tried to avoid ended up being the very scriptures that I unlocked life to the full for me. These very scriptures are the very scriptures that set me free. They broke the chains like we just sang about were these teachings of Jesus. So today as we talk through this, before you go down a shame cycle about your impurity, before you just write it off as this is impossible to follow, I want to encourage you to trust Jesus as the most brilliant and incredible teacher of all time. Because um, we're going to dive into this, and I want you to trust that he's the most brilliant teacher, but he's also the most brilliant Messiah, and his grace can set us free. Amen, church? So Jesus starts out uh, by saying, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. That's number seven of the Ten Commandments from Exodus uh, 20, verse 14. And just like most rabbis, they would quote a, a phrase from the Old Testament that everybody's heard. But what Jesus is about to do here, he's about to tear back the veil. He's about to open up the curtains of what this scripture literally means. So then he goes on to say, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. I want to start out by running through what is Jesus not saying before we talk about what Jesus is saying. Cool with you guys? So what, he, what is he not saying? He's not talking about the appreciation of beauty. Being attracted to God's creation is not a sin. That is just an appreciation of the great creator and what he has created. To be able to look upon the world like God and say, well, this is very good. Um, you know, what is he not talking about? He's not talking about that mo uh, momentary flash of sexual desire when you see an attractive person with very little clothing on. Like there's a neurobiological thing that happens in us that's chemical in our bodies when we see someone that's attractive with very little clothing and it's just like a poof. And that's not sin. That's a temptation. What you do with that determines sin or not. But in that moment, that's not sin. That's not what he's talking about. You know, Martin Luther uh, from hundreds of years ago had this quote. I thought it was still good after hundreds of years. He said, we should not make the bolstering of Jesus' teaching too taut here. As if anyone who is merely tempted to look at another with lust is eternally damned. I cannot keep a bird from flying over my head. But I certainly keep it from making a nest in my hair or from biting off my nose. N nothing like, like Middle Ages humor to lighten the mood. You know what I'm saying? What, but what is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about when we gaze at a woman or man to get sexual gratification from their bodies. Lust is using a woman or a man, but Jesus is specifically talking to men right here in context. He's, lust is using a woman's body to get sexual gratification from her. It's not that first look to appreciate and notice beauty. It's not that flash of sexual desire, that neurobiological chemical reaction. It's what you do after that. It's the second look. 
in the third look, in the following with your eyes as they walk across the street. It's when you imagine in your mind's eye a sexual encounter. When you give in to that overwhelming feeling that you get and you let it take over your heart. But it all starts with that second look. You see, what Jesus is dealing with here is a core problem in the human condition. The objectification of women. When we make women, women can do it to men too, but when we make women objects, and this goes both ways, right? Like men, like men lust after women and women can lust after men. But again, Jesus in context is talking to the men. But the problem isn't sexual desire. It's not male, the male or female body. That's not the problem. Um, sexual desire, male and female bodies, those, all those things are from God. If you go back to page one and page two in Genesis, when God made all of creation, including a gendered male and a gendered female, he looked upon it and he said, this was, and not just good, but very good. Now, this is very good. And then in that time, it says that they were without clothes, they were naked and they had no shame. And it showed us within the covenant marriage, within a covenant vow of male and female, there's a beauty of intimacy where there's a beautiful place for sexual desire. And it's not just a physical, it's an intimacy of mind and emotion and spiritual intimacy that, that, that fills itself into a physical intimacy. And there's a beautiful place for that in God's kingdom. That is not bad. It's beautiful in that context. There's even a whole book in the Bible Song of Songs, right? You know that book where if you're, if you're you know, middle school age kid goes, hey, I wanted to start reading the Bible, mommy and daddy. Great. Where'd you want to start? Well, I love music. And I heard there's a book about songs. Like apparently it's the, like, it's the song of songs, the best song ever. I thought about starting there. Why don't you start with Matthew, little Johnny? You know, <laughs> like yeah, there's a whole book in the Bible about sexual passionate encounter between a male and a female, between a husband and a wife. And in Jesus' culture, they would have, he would have heard that from an early age. Every Passover in synagogue, he would have heard Song of Songs being read. It was his entire world view. Jesus isn't some middle-aged celibate monk with a shame complex. He's the embodiment of the creator God that created male and female in intimacy and created that to be beautiful within the confines of a covenant marriage. Amen? So sex and the human body, that's not the problem. The problem is when we put, another, uh, when we put other women, particularly women who fit our cultural definition of beauty, into objects. We make them into things, into tender for the fire of our sexual desire. And it doesn't just destroy those particular women or men, but it hurts those who don't fit our cultural definition of beauty also. And that's something we don't talk about very much. The other reality is the devastating effect that it has on those that don't have the same sexual allure. That don't have the leg up in the world that beautiful people have that study after study, say get more promotions more often, make more money, and have more friends just because they have that specific type of body. You see, when we objectify other people that fit or don't fit our cultural definition of beauty, we dehumanize them to satisfy our own sexual desire. 
We turn them just into objects and things and we take their humanity and their will out of them and they're just there for our own desire. And the reality is in doing so, we end up dehumanizing ourselves. We become more animal than man or woman. We become ruled by our own primal based instincts. Instead of being in control of or ruling over those instincts, we give into them what the New Testament writers call our flesh. And we give into them. And under all of this is what Jesus calls the adultery of the heart. You see, there's a disease below affairs. No one wakes up one morning driving to work, man, I'm late to work, missed my coffee, bad day, boom, affair. Like that doesn't happen in a day. Like it's, it's months and years and even decades earlier of the adultery of the heart growing into an affair. And all of it goes back, it's the same thing with a porn addiction. You just don't wake up one morning, I wanna be addicted to porn. Like that doesn't happen. It goes back months and years, all back to that second look. And this adultery of the heart starts to build. You know, at its core, what the adultery of the heart is, is us getting love confused with lust. So Jesus in his kingdom that he's setting up his new society, the core principle, the very most important thing in his new society is love. You know, when someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest command? He told them to what? Love the Lord your God of all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is equally like it to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the Old Testament is based off of this. And at its core, lust is a demon stepchild of love. It crucifies what love is all about to create in it something else. You know, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, do you remember the first thing it says about love, the definition of love biblically? Love is? Why don't we walk through this? If love is patient and it's willing to wait, lust is always in a rush, always want it, wants it now. It doesn't matter where you're at, I need it. Love is faithful for the long haul. It's willing to keep the marriage bed pure for decades, while lust is in it for the short term, where it, it wants the quick, the quick fix. I'm in it for the two years of romance, then I'm out as soon as the feelings leave, which uh, psychologists say is around two years. Love is selfless. It is not self-seeking. It puts the needs of someone else first, whether it's your spouse or your enemy, they put that first. You might go, well, that's the same person, but that just makes it more simple for you, okay? <laughs> like, they put that first. While lust is selfish, uh, this quote from Comer, where I got a, a lot of this teaching from, I just love that lust is narcissism in a sexual encounter. Just filled with lust. That's all selfish. Love is a decision. It's part of our will. We decide to put someone else first, to sacrifice for them, to give to them, and to love them till death do us parts. While lust is drowned out by the primal instinct of our flesh. In and of itself, it's first animal instinct before it is of our will as humans. So why does Jesus get so worked up about this? Why does Jesus get so intense as he's talking about lust? He's saying because you created this beautiful thing, the hallmark of Christianity, my whole society is based off of love and you're taking that and you're robbing it of its power and you're destroying it and you're saying lust is the same thing as love. And don't we see this in our society today? Like most TV shows and movies, when they say I love you, they're not really talking about love. They're really saying I wanna have sex with you. 
And, and it's, being, it's being lied as, as love. So Jesus gets intense about this because it's an, lust is an assault on love. But this all comes back to not the actions. It starts, starts with the adultery of the heart. You guys with me? But praise be to God that Jesus gave us a way out. Amen, church? We don't have to be stuck in this forever. It is possible to be pure. It is possible to find a way to purity, a way to purity through Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and the Spirit. So what I want to do with the second half of today, I want to go through four principles. Four principles of Jesus' path of purity. Is that cool with you guys? These principles the Spirit uses to transform you from these teachings we just read. So here's the four principles. Uh, we're going to talk about accept, embrace, fill, and amputate. And we'll break those things down, all right? Accept, fill, accept, embrace, fill, and amputate. So the first thing we need to do is we need to accept this truth. We need to accept that adultery of the heart leads to hell. If you don't think this is an issue, if adultery of your heart is an issue, you'll never change. You know, Satan hasn't changed his lies for thousands of years. Have you noticed that? All the way back to page two of the Bible, the first lie the accuser, the father of lies, said to Eve was, do you remember? Did God really say, don't eat from that tree? Did, no, you can eat that tree, surely you won't die. And from the jump, Satan was trying to tell us that sin didn't have consequences. Surely you won't die. You know, back in, uh, our, in our passage in Matthew 5, in verse 29, he says, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And again, in verse 30, he says the same exact thing. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, um, when you think about your favorite conversation pieces, you know what I'm saying? I'm sure hell makes like the top five, right? Like football, my family, work, and hell. Like that's like, I just, I love talking about that at work. You know, it's all, I'm always bringing it up. Like, I mean, our society, we, we hate this topic. We hate anything with consequences. And yet Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. And it's all out of love. He knows the beauty that sex within marriage can have. He's trying to protect that for us. He knows the beauty of what it means to walk with him in his kingdom. He's trying to protect that for us. So he warns us of the consequences. You see, Satan wins when he convinces you that it's not that big of a deal to lust. Satan wins when he convinces you that, man, everyone is doing it. You're not hurting anyone. It's 2023. What's the big deal? Satan wins with that language, guys. Jesus says that without repentance, you'll find yourself in hell if you don't stop. And that hell means life after death, yes, but it also means hell during life. You know, Jesus was talking about this word Gehenna, which is a physical place. Nick talked about a little bit of that last week. But hell isn't just after earth. You can have hell on earth. And just as much in our, in our sermon series, we're calling upon God, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. We can find ourselves doing the same thing to Satan and bringing hell on earth. Look at this. So the diagnosis from the great physician, from Jesus the healer, he's saying there's an issue here, guys. If you don't change, there's a consequence. 
where we can go, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Bring heaven onto earth. But we can find ourselves in the lives in the same thing to Satan. Satan, your dominion of darkness come. Satan, your will be done on earth as it is in hell. And we can end up living a living hell. Some of us have witnessed hell on earth, whether it's in our parents or maybe even in our lives or with our friends around us of how adultery, how cheating, and how the, the intense consequences of, of immorality can destroy a family and leave consequences for generations. Some of us have experienced this hell on earth when it comes to a porn addiction where you suddenly want to connect more with the computer than real human beings. And as much as you try, you can't stop. As we look in society today, Satan is working in overtime to bring hell on earth when it comes to pornography. Here's a few stats that I think are intense. Porn sites received more website traffic in the U.S. than Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined. Studies show that young people are exposed to porn by, most young people are exposed to porn by age 13. 84% of 14 to 18 year old males and 57% of 14 to 18 year old females have viewed pornography. That's a lot of lust that's getting younger and younger into our children, bringing hell to our children when it's supposed to be adult entertainment. And reports, how does it affect relationships? Where reports uh, consistently show that porn consumers are twice as likely to later report experiencing a divorce over a breakup. And the article that did that research was called Till Porn Do Us Parts. And I thought that was so fitting for the destructive hell on earth that you can bring when you let adultery of the heart manifest itself. That it's not till death do us part anymore, faithful love, but it becomes to lust, till porn do us parts. We can bring hell on earth, my friends. And Jesus says that all this hell on earth goes all the way back to the second look. And that's when adultery in the heart starts to grow and starts to build. Church, don't let Satan lie to you anymore. You gotta get the hell out of your life. You gotta get it out. And you gotta decide enough's enough, Satan. I'm not gonna be fooled anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna be lied to think that's where true life the fool is. I'm not being lied anymore. I'm sick of this hell in my life. I'm getting it out. You gotta take that second look, the beginning of the adultery of the heart, seriously. Amen? You know, Jesus' path to purity doesn't stop there. Jumping back into my story, right? After I got baptized by God's grace, I was never impure with another woman again. But I did start, after a period of time, start to go back to porn and masturbation. And I struggled with that in my early years as a Christian. Um, and if you're anything like me, my impurity, uh, looking at stupid stuff online, became my main source of shame in my Christian walk. And I, that's when I realized that Satan is the great accuser. And I had two battles going on. On one side was the battle of my sin, to destroy sin, to repent, and to change. But on the other battle was the battle of my mind, where Satan was waging war against my mind and how I viewed myself. 
And that became, and a lot of times I fell into my sin, not because my battle of sin, I fell into sin because of the battle of my mind. And I wasn't winning the war in my mind. Satan would accuse me and he would accuse me and he would accuse me and he would accuse me again until I believed his truth instead of the true truth. And I believe what he said about me instead of what God said about me. And I say that to say the last thing I want to do today, if you find yourself in one of these situations, the last thing I want to do today is to shame you. It's the very last thing that I want to do. I want to call you to experience freedom. I want to call you to experience a place where your sins can truly be wiped free from Jesus and from his teachings. Because if you just stop here and realize that it's just wrong and you try to cut out your life of sin by yourself, that's called self-help. That's not Jesus' way. And that's what leads to shame. So next, you have to embrace that Jesus is worth it. You guys with me? Okay, so after we accept, we got to embrace. we got to embrace that Jesus is worth it. Back in Matthew chapter 5, our, our main text today, Jesus is worth it. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And then he says the same thing with your right hand, that it's better to lose your hand than for your whole body to go into hell. Okay, I don't know if it would be harder for you to get rid of an eye or to get rid of a hand. But whichever one's harder for you, how much would someone have to give you to cut it off? Okay, let me just do a little poll. Who would 100,000 is enough? 100,000 is enough, anybody? Right, yeah. Kyler, the college students, you know what I'm saying? It makes sense. Who's a million's enough to get rid of your hand or your eye? Million's enough. A few more, the recent grads, all right? Okay, who's, it has to be like 10 million or 50 million to be enough. Who's never getting rid of it no matter how much? All right. Listen, Jesus says, Jesus says, it's better to have a relationship with me than to have your hand or to have your eye. He says, you, you just don't get it. You don't get what life in the kingdom. It's better to go like this and like this your whole life. But if you have a relationship with me, dude, you don't, that would be so worth it. Do you value do you value a relationship with Jesus that much? You know, in marriage, you have to give up a lot for your spouse, don't you? And one of those things is you have to give up going on dates with other people. That doesn't work. That doesn't work in marriage, right? You know, I happily haven't gone on a date with another girl in 10 years, all right? From dating to marriage, right? I happily haven't done that. And it's not even a sacrifice. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to take my wife on a date every week. Husbands, did you hear that? Wives get the old nudge. Every week we go on a date. I consider myself blessed, actually, that I don't have to go on a date with any other girl, but I'm blessed to get to take my wife on a date every week. Here's the point I'm making. If giving up things for your purity seems more like a sacrifice than a privilege, then you have a flawed view of Jesus. Amen? If giving up things seems more like, why do I have to do this? And man, this is so difficult. And man, do I really have to? Then you don't get what you're getting. You don't get how amazing he is. If only you saw how incredible he is, guys. If only you saw how amazing, how gracious, how loving he is. 
then you'd be willing to give up. It would be a privilege to go without just because you get him. Amen? Amen. Okay, the, uh, the, next, the next principle that, uh, that you got to follow is fill. So you got to fill your heart and your life with him. Um, see, once you see how great he is, that there's consequences to sin, how great he is, and you start filling your life, uh, once you realize how great he is, you got to fill yourself with his love, with his teachings, with his grace. This goes back to Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, right? We said we would come back to this a few weeks ago. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, purity here is holistic purity, Right? It's, it's purity of mind and heart and emotionally, spiritually. It's an un, it's a unaffected uh, or un... What's the word I'm looking for? Un, uh, un, adultery is not the word. Uh, un, uncontaminated. It's an uncontaminated connection between you and God, right? So it's holistic, but sexual purity is part of it, right? Um, so he says, blessed are the pure in heart, where there's, there's a way to be so full, so connected, so uncontaminated with you and God that you don't need anything else. Because there's a reason you go to that affair. There's a reason you go to that porn. There's a reason you go and do that with your girlfriend or boyfriend. There's something inside you're trying to fill. But there's a place you can be so filled of God's love, so filled of God's power that you don't feel like you need anything else. And this was a giant shift for me. You know, um, some of us, uh, there's, a, there's a pendulum of filling yourself with God and there's a pendulum of, uh, you know, having boundaries and cutting stuff off. Some of us are way over here. I, I'm not going to have any boundaries. I'm not going to cut anything off. I'm just going to fill myself with God. And you realize you only end up getting about half of purity because you're only, you're only half following half of Jesus' teachings. I, on the other hand, was over here. And I was cutting a lot of stuff off and I had a ton of boundaries and internet blockers and all that kind of stuff, but I wasn't feeling myself. And I was wondering why I was only getting half of purity. Well, it's because I wasn't holistically following Jesus. And so I started going after filling myself with God and studying out grace, studying out his love, going into a whole new place in my prayer life. Tom really helped me understand grace in our, in our mentoring times. And it really started to transform my purity. Amen? So the, the last, the last uh, principle we're going to cover right here is amputate. Now, now that we know that Jesus is worth it, you have to pay the price to be with Jesus. Amen? So right here, one more time in Matthew 5. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown in hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Okay, so after church today, we got Kevin Broyles. He's one of our doctors. He's going to have a knife over on the side of stage for anyone that wants to come forward. <laughs> Jesus is not talking about self-amputation or self-mutilation, right? He's not talking about that. If Jesus was talking about that, he missed the most obvious body part you should cut off. It's just like basic math, all right? It's just, he's not talking seriously here. Okay, a little humor and a heavy topic. All right, come on, guys. You just got to lighten the load a little bit, all right? So Jesus isn't talking about self-mutilation, but he's also not talking about sin management. He's not, he's not saying just put a little Band-Aid on it, make a couple changes, you're good, okay? Like, no, he's talking about complete life transformation. He's not talking about a completely transformed life. He says, no, don't just put a little Band-Aid, you got to cut it off. 
You got to take it seriously. What, what more serious language can I use for you to get how big of a deal this is? He says, completely cut it off. You know, your hand or your eye, those are naturally very good things. God even said in Genesis. Yet he says, if even a good thing causes you to stumble, life with me is not worth having that good thing in your life because I'm better. You got to be willing to even cut off the good things for the best thing. And guys, I'm going to be honest with you. It will cost you to have a life with Jesus. It will cost you. It might cost you the shows or the movies you watch. Well, your friends, you want to come over and watch the latest episode? Or you want to go see that movie? It might cost you to say, no, I can't watch that. It might cost you your social media account because you can't stop swiping and looking and clicking into. It might cost you your iPhone because you just can't handle it. It might cost you time alone in an apartment with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Because you just can't be there. It's too tempting to stumble. And none of these things are rules. It's a principle. It's a principle. You've got to figure out how to apply this principle of Jesus to your life. And what is causing you to stumble. Amen? Amen. Jesus was willing to pay the price to live with you. So you've got to be willing to pay the price to live with him. You know, paying the price for purity and walking with Jesus is always worth it. It's always worth it. And to finish out my story, as I started coming out of my impurity, and I found myself in a place where I was cutting off things more than ever before, and I was getting filled up with God more than ever before, and yet there was still this um, cycle, like every three or four months I would fall. And, um, and so I ended up making a covenant with some of the brothers. And I said, next time I use my phone, because I always had to use my phone, next time I use my phone, I'm getting rid of it. I'm going to get a dumb phone. And I prayed that I would never have to do that. <laughs> but sure enough, unfortunately, about four or five months later, I fell on that phone. So I got rid of that phone. And I went and got you know, the old high school flip phone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that my, I was under my parents' uh, phone plan. That was a weird conversation to have with my mom. But we had it, right? And, um, and so I got the dumb phone. And then at this time, Toy and I had just started dating a few months earlier. And I really did not want her to find out. I was, I was embarrassed. Uh, what is she going to think? Is she going to break up with me? So whenever I would get a call when we were together, I would, you know, just silence it, you know, really quick and not, not take it out. And, um, but one time, one time... Uh, we were driving, and, then, and I was driving, and she was in the car, and I got a call, and without thinking, I picked it up, right? And I went, oh, <laughs> and, and what is she going to think? What is she going to do? So I ended the call really quick and try to, you know, and, and then put it in, and I just, do 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 like just trying to, and then, and then she went, oh, babe, what happened to your phone? And, and so I, I had to be honest. I had discretion with a girlfriend, right? Like, but I, I had to be honest. You know, honestly, my phone was causing me to stumble. And, and it got to the point where I needed to get rid of it for my purity. I tried to keep it really simple. And then I was terrified. I thought she was about to break up with me. And, uh, and she goes, oh, okay, and just moved on. I went, woo, right? And then um, a couple, fast forward a couple months when we tell each other we love each other. And so we tell each other we love each other. It's a beautiful moment. Yeah. And then, and then I, uh, I say, well, hey, when did you know that you loved me? And she said, you remember that time when you told me about your dumb phone? And I went, yeah, what do you, what do you, why do you bring that up now? And, and she goes, when I saw that moment is when I knew that I loved you. Because if you're willing to fight for your purity like that, I want to live and fight with somebody like that. 
And if you're willing to walk with Jesus like that, I want to walk with somebody like that. And in that moment, I was blown away. Because the thing that had caused me most shame ended up being one of the moments that brought the most love into my life. When you cut things off, don't walk around with your head down in shame. When you cut things off, if you don't have internet on your phone, if you don't have a phone, if you don't have a door on your bathroom, whatever states you go to for purity, wear that as a badge of honor. Not as something for about you to say, no, but I stand for him. And that I don't, you can make fun of me, but where's your purity, bro? Okay, maybe you don't say that, maybe you do, but you wear the, <laughs> but you have that heart posture. You have that heart posture of you're not living in shame, but you're living in the light of God. of confidence, amen? Guys, paying the price for purity and walking with Jesus is always worth it. That was nine years ago for me. Um, that, by God's grace, that was the last time that I looked at porn or masturbated. There is a way out in your purity. I don't want you to hear while Jordan could do that. He's like, no, honest, this isn't a story about a strong man. This is a story about a weak man and a strong God. And if God, if that strong God can make this weak man pure, then he can make you pure. Have faith. Don't lose faith in your purity. Let God can transform you. The Spirit can use his teachings to mold you into a man of purity. If God freed me, he can free you. Amen? You know, we're about to move into a time of communion. And on communion, remember Jesus on the cross. It's only because of the cross that we have another option. We don't have to live hell out on earth any longer, but there's another option because of the cross. And I want to encourage you during this time, we put communion after the lesson today. If you have anything to confess today, I want to encourage you to confess that to Jesus during your time and to have that moment with Jesus. And after that confession, I want to encourage you to open your heart wide to grace. Don't let Satan, the great accuser, win out these next few minutes. But let Jesus, as the great physician, the great healer, heal you in these next few minutes. The cross is bigger than your biggest sin. That darkest thing you never thought you could be clean from, God's grace can forgive you of that. But you have to go to him and be willing to follow his ways over your ways. And then make some decisions before we close out this little communion time. Make some decisions about what you want to do about this. Whether it's confessing to a brother or sister. Whether it's to fill yourself up more of God. Whether it's to amputate something from your life. Let's not let these kind of teachings, these life-giving teachings of Jesus, go in ear and one out the other. For thousands of years, God has been transforming hundreds and thousands and millions of people to a life of purity. And he wants to do the same thing in our church today. Amen, church? Let's say a prayer together for communion. Uh, Father God, we are so grateful for Christ. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his strength. Thank you for his blood. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that Jesus transforms weak people like us. And God, thank you for teaching us through Jesus how to not objectify women, how to not be controlled by our flesh, but to live in a new society where we treat people as humans, not as objects. And God, I pray that we can realize and accept the consequences of our sin. I pray that we can see that you're worth it more than anything else. God, I pray that we fill our lives with your grace. And God, I pray we're willing to pay the price for a walk with you. Thank you for paying the price for us. We come to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.